Hello, welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about Vancey and Magic. But before we do that, Buddy, you want to tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast. Uh, on this podcast, we like to talk about games and also underwater basket weaving. And I'm sure very few of you know the term Vancey and Magic offhand. I certainly didn't when Mango proposed it. Yeah, so just to give it a, a brief overview, um, Vancey and Magic comes from, I believe it's the Jack Van series of novels, but the way you're probably familiar with it if you're a regular listener to this podcast is this style of magic system that Dungeons & Dragons and Pathfinder uses um, for, uh, our, for wizards um, in that they memorize a spell, um, and then once they use that spell, it's out of their mind and it must be re-memorized uh, to cast again. Um, in D- in uh, Pathfinder, it is... Uh, oh, it's that specific... See, I also thought that Harry Potter was fancy in magic. No. No, it's, this... It's just, like, explicit spells that have explicit purposes. No, no, no. So, so fancy magic is, is actually from... Uh, um, it, it's, it's like I said, from, from the Jack Vance novels. And, and very specifically, you memorize a spell, and once you use it, it escapes in your brain, and you can't... Um, and you can't cast it again without spending the time to sit down and study it. Um, those novels actually um, are, are, are widely uh, thought to be the inspiration to Greg Gygax. I think he said it at one point uh, that Jack Vance was, was was the reason he designed the magic system that way. Um, uh, uh, what's it? Um, uh, the Terry Pratchett novels, Discworld, um, has a similar style. Um, and the reason that I wanted to bring this up... Um, uh, is because of, uh, in Pathfinder 2, or Pathfinder 1, rather, we got the Arcanist, um, which had the style of casting where you, you had a set of spells that you had memorized um, that you could change each day, but you could cast any of them in your slots, basically. You had, like, X number of spells cast and Y number of spells prepared, um, and you could do, you, you could combinatorically do those, so, like, if you wanted to prepare, um, uh, you wanted to prepare a Magic Missile and Fireball, and you had three slots, you could cast three magic missiles, three fireballs, or, or either three magic missiles with three fireballs, or one magic missile with two fireballs, etc., etc. Um, uh, D&D 5e uses this system now as well, but the, the playtest has has returned to classic fancy and magic um, in in that, uh, it, that you must memorize particular spells per slot. Um, and I think this was kind of surprising to a lot of people, because a lot of people thought the Arcanist was just going to be the bellwether for the new style of, of casting. Um, if you want to talk a little bit more about, um, kind of the, the other aspect of, of this, which is that spells are specific. I think that's also, um, fodder as well, because I, I, I do think that's an interesting topic. Um, but I, I kind of, uh, had been thinking about how, um, how I, I think maybe the reason that they're going back to the classic Vincent style is I think the Arcanist is a little too good. Like, if the Arcanist, like, I think the Arcanist in Pathfinder 1, like, kind of straight up replaces the wizard, but I also think, and, and that's fine if you just replace the wizard with the Arcanist-style casting, mm. but I think the problem becomes that the, it also replaces the sorcerer. Like, the flexibility there is is just a little too good, um, that the sor- and now that everybody has the same number of spells cast per day, that the sorcerer would be um, kind of, uh, uh, what, what's the word I want to look for, uh, made redundant by Oof. the Arcanist as well. Can I um, just can I just resurrect like Necro, like a three year old argument where I said that exact same thing and you and Mark disagreed with me? I think because the Arcanist has to have two 
has to like key on to two ability scores rather than just one and that's like the quote-unquote advantage of the sorcerer yeah um, so i don't think it's as bad in pf1 no i i like you know i i, I think that because I, I have always maintained the position that the arcanist is just like effectively much better than the wizard and the sorcerer it just effectively replaces the sorcerer uh and the wizard because it's uh, that flexibility just gives them so much more power. I think the only argument you can make is uh, that the wizard and the sorcerer are more are like I like you. It, it would be harder to walk onto if I'm a new player, for instance. It'd be harder to walk onto an arcanist compared to walking onto a wizard or something. Well, um, in one e the 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 other, so the the thing I think you're missing is that the sorcerer gets more spells in one e, um, and also because like you pointed out, they're a single stat caster they can also get themselves more spells by bumping charisma that's no longer true in Tui. um everybody has i think three three spell three slots at level one and they they grow identically the wizard and the sorcerer um and high stat doesn't get you more slots um and so i think that's enough to tip it over the edge for me um with, with that arcana style casting um although I, I i might uh i might i might say that i i i think with time, your point might be more valid. I also think that, like, <laughs> um, just, just thinking about it, I think the bloodlines are more like bloodlines are much better than schools in one e, and I don't think that's, that that's very a, true. That's yeah. I don't think that's as true in um, uh, in um, uh, Pathfinder Second Edition. Yeah, yeah. Um, although the Arcanist did have ways to kind of opt into the blood, uh, Arcanist can get bloodlines either through a series of an archetype that's kind of really taxing on it. Um, or you can take a level and sorcerer and one arcanist exploit or whatever they're called. Um, uh, which I think, I think that's something that two is doing well is, is kind of like multi-classing is, is, is these feats. We, we've talked briefly about that. Um, but, um, yeah, do you have do you have any 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 deeper thoughts out of any any of the things that just kind of spewed out of my head? So so what why so like what brought this to your attention? Like where did this come from? Uh, Were you like just reading and being and thinking about like the Arcanist? Um, so I thought you know, I read it. I read the Wizard. And I was like, this is an Arcanist style casting. And then I also was uh, I've been reading the Paizo forums, and this is a point that came up that like why haven't we gone to Arcanist style casting? So instead, because um. Sorcerers, while they have this um, neat kind of, of of new thing where they can be any spellcasting list based on their bloodline, um, they're not, like, as, uh, they pointed out that it's already kind of a hard sell for them to be, um, for them to replace either the, the cleric or the druid or the wizard on their own, and with the arcanist style casting applied to those three classes, that it would totally make the sorcerer... Um, uh, undesirable. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I thought that was an interesting point, and I think I agree, like I said, I, th I think I agree with it, um, but I do think that the Arcanist style casting is better for the game in general. The way that 5th edition handles this is sorcerers have exclusive access to meta magic, which I don't like, um, from kind of uh, 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 like a, for 2e, I think it works okay in, 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 in 5e because um, it's just kind of very tight class design, and so um, you can have things like each class in Five E is more exclusive, and I think Two E wants kind of classes to like wants characters to be a little bit less locked into their their class fantasy than Five E does. Right. Um, but uh, 
And that, that that that's that's what that's what brought it to mind. Yeah, because I also think that there's like well, like one of the other interesting pieces of sorcerer, right, is that depending on the different bloodline you get, you get access to different spell lists. So in a lot of ways, for instance, like Oracle is built into sorcerer now, um, and I guess it gets all four, right? Yeah, arcane, divine. What is it? Primal. Who's the other one? Uh, occult. Occult. Yeah. Bard. So. Um, that's very cool and interesting and I, I i sort of wonder um to what extent um like to what extent they needed to add that flexibility for sorcerers you know in order to make them like unique in a world where wizard was getting like the overhaul that it was because i always used to like like i always liked the the interaction between you know oracles and clerics or wizards and clerics right though i don't really think that there are any other i guess maybe witches or somewhere in there somewhere witches are prepared generally and they have like a witches are weird because they have hexes yeah and, and hexes are kind of like powers like I, I feel like they're kind of like warlocks i guess you know like with eldritch blast right um, yeah, I guess, but like not, but not one to one, but sort of. But anyway, but my, but I, I feel like they kind of found that model wanting, um, and kind of rolled everything into the sorcerer, um, and I, and I don't know, I really don't know how I, I don't know how either of them play, and I am so unaccustomed to spellcasting in general in Pathfinder, right? Like I've always told myself that in like the next big game that I end up playing, I'm going to play a full caster, because uh, I always end up playing these, like, martial characters. Um, and, uh... And so I, I don't have a good... I don't have a good way to, like, kind of eyeball this stuff and make, like, a one... A, like, a, like, a... Some of the fine-tuned judgment calls um, about it. Yeah, I, 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 I think that's fair. Um... Um, but I, I, I think I think there's also a, a broader discussion kind of about like like is like moving from Vancean pure Vancean to Arcanist um, uh, you know presupposes a lot of things about mm. the magic system in Pathfinder in the first place right like like you kind of mentioned it presupposes that each spell has a named effect and has is very has a nice little pocket um, and you know, I've, I've, there are other games that try and do slightly more uh, fluid systems of casting, like you know, mana based, um, uh, which which is kind of like you can do powerpoints from like psionics, and you get a lot of the same stuff. Um, but that still uses those kind of um, uh, those those kind of preset spells. Um, right. Other games uh, try and try and do like some some sort of like uh, spell kind of crunching system where like. You, you, you have, like, certain words that make elements, certain words that make shapes, and you can build custom spells. And other games are that are a little bit more narrative, just, like, come up with something and say you want to do it, and you and the GM agree on, on what that does um, and how that works. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like most RPGs have to be kind of flirting with Vancey and Magic by necessity, because otherwise you open yourself up to kind of, like, power gaming. Um, and that is a tough, like, even, even with PowerPoints or anything kind of, um, along those sorts of lines, right? Like, well, I guess, so it's not Vancean, but it's like closer to it. It is hard to have open-ended magic, um, in the way that something like, you know, like a magic system in maybe, fuck, I don't know, kind of Game of Thrones is a little bit like this, you know, where, where it is like, 
it, it is a lot less that you are casting specific things that do specific things. You're not casting Wingardium Leviosa, right? You're not casting Fireball, which will always be a Fireball. Um, you're casting something that allows you to do something and you could maybe make it into a fireball if you wanted it to, right? Like some kind of pyrokinetic spell that talks about how you, how you can shape fire. Um, I don't know, like that, that's something that I find, uh, is tough to do in RPG systems, especially crunchy RPG systems. Cause I think crunchy RPG systems attract munchkins and power gamers right and captain crunches that are looking to kind of express those very high very powerful um sorts of uh gameplay yeah and so i i, I think you you fall into i think you're right i i think that you you fall into one of two camps either it's it's uh, so loose like you said that like the power gamers just totally dominate the system mm -hmm. um and find like the most optimal uh, kind of corners that or you make it so about like you you make it so balanced that it becomes kind of like 4e syndrome where while everything is very well balanced it feels kind of like soulless or video gamey yeah um and i, I you don't I, you don't really feel unique or or you know special or anything like that you're not you're not um uh they, they talk about this in like wow to a certain extent where they talk about like how part of the the class fantasy is being good at something right like i'm an arms warrior and i'm good at burst aoe damage right and that's part of my identity and that's one of the things that's like well when you need that i'm going to do really well sort of thing um and and there's a lack of some of that stuff in hyperbalanced systems like 4e right where you and everyone else are just completely interchangeable. Yeah, and you, you know, you you feel like you're you're all good at kind of the the same thing it just has a different skin on it. Mm -hmm. Um with maybe maybe some some minor differences. Um I have not actually seen a particularly uh well done system for open-ended magic outside of the this game is very narrative driven and thus it's it's open-ended and it's so it's away from captain crunch territory anyway yeah. yeah i mean in a way i guess when i played 5e at gen con there was a bit of that with like the one cantrip that i had as a conjurer like you can, can conjure like anything in, in like a three by three cube or something like that and i was doing it a lot to like make boxes and stuff like that but i feel like you could definitely you know find someone who does power gamey bullshit with that do you know what i mean yeah i i think uh I actually think that that's like leads to a lot of spell design in Pathfinder and D and D, where you get these these long spell entries that have yeah. like like if you look at the prestidigitation entry, you can clearly see someone trying to account for somebody who's like, well, it just basically says I can do anything, then that means I can do like a billion damage, right? Um, mm. um, and uh, I think that that's kind of where you get like a lot of this kind of weirdness around. Uh, especially like cantrips and, and anything that kind of tries to give you a little bit of free form ness is um, like wizards in Pathfinder and D&D &D feel like they're they do magic when they do magic and that's it if that makes sense right like part of your like maybe, maybe common perception of a wizard is supposed to be like um, you know, one part high magus and one part kind of stage magi magician, right? Like, right. When, when when he's kind of in the intro phase and maybe you're not aware of his full power, he kind of does, like, cheap tricks um, or whatever. Um, and I think that's what, like, prestidigitation is supposed to be. 
um, it's, it's, that's how it's classically described as, at least, is kind of that uh, track of, uh, um, of 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 uh, uh, of magic, like that that kind of expression of magic. Um, but I, I I think by kind of trying to shove that all into prestidigitation, uh, Pathfinder and D and D don't really actually embrace those kind of tropes too much and i don't know if that's like the end of the world i don't know if you need to be able to to be that right. um but i think that this gets into kind of like so like um to kind of bring in another argument i've been seeing a, a lot this is around we, we've talked about this briefly on on our on our first um podcast about about tui is arguments about the uh the 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 uh, the scaling the, the level by level scaling where the proficiency goes up one by every level, um, and you know kind of in this like the twenty level twenty wizard can beat the level one farm hand at arm wrestling, um, and somebody pointed out I think pretty fairly that you could just flavor that as the um, as the wizard is is you know using some amount of minor magic that he knows right or like beats him in a foot race makes a little bit more sense for that right like you, like his jump is a little bit magically. Um, assisted, you know, not in so much of a way that, like, you have to cast a spell, but enough that, like, you see, like, the twinkles at his feet or whatever. Um, and I think that that's a kind of valid way to to kind of interpret that, but, like, that's like, not just not built into the mindset. Um, and I wonder if there's a good way to kind of, like, make that more apparent kind of, like, this is where, like, the, the, the fantasy rubs up against the rules, as it were, right? Like, the rules don't make it apparent that that's what's happening, and even though that's maybe a valid interpretation, it's hard to kind of get that across, um, kind of just in the in the minds of your players and in the mind of the GM, and in, without kind of explicitly calling it. Even if you explicitly called it out in the rulebook, I, I feel like the the rules just don't accommodate that as much. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I and I also think that see this is part of it that sucks because I like to think of myself as like a creative person. I'm a lot more interested in like solving problems by thinking outside of the box and that's part of what attracts me to games like you know like rpgs like DD and stuff like that and so you know part of uh something like being able to conjure anything in a three by three it's not about finding the you know i conjure fucking <laughs> a crate full of dynamite and blow it up like you know what i mean like it's not it's not power gaming stuff like that but it's stuff that is like an interesting way to solve a problem that might not otherwise be solvable because of that stuff and so there's this kind of like need i feel like to wrap around um to to like stifle that kind of creativity because you need to you need to encase the magic system in a way that like a munchkin can't take advantage of and i do think that that has detriments like that does suck um when it comes to the game and how and how spells and magic and all that stuff works and i do wish that there were more of these things right like i kind of wish that there was more open-ended magic instead of just prestidigitation um there's a little bit you could argue it a little bit in other places like you know mage hand or telekinesis are kind of like open-ended um in a lot of ways and really depend on like your surroundings in order to work but even those have like all of these restrictions on them on how much weight can you you know can your hand do you can't make attacks with it all these other sorts of things right like if i if i you know if i pick up a weight with a mage hand and i drop it from a tower and it falls a hundred feet onto a person, right? Like tossing a penny off the Empire State Building, which doesn't kill people, by the way. Um, 
then then like is that an attack you know what i mean like all of those kinds of all of those kinds of things get ruled out um and i know that some of those are frustrating right like i once uh we once dealt with a uh a player in college who was like this Do you remember lawrence yeah in hppg yeah he did a lot of this kind of stuff right like you know there was a golem that was immune to his magic attacks so what he did was he created he de he like created a portal under the golem and the other side of the portal was 300 feet in the air so that the golem fell through the portal and took 300 feet of falling damage and was destroyed um and that was something that was frowned upon by our group as like unfair or something like that but i actually kind of think that's clever you know what i mean like that, yeah that's a really unconventional way but it's a very clever way to get around the encounter and i think that that's cool but lawrence was also doing a lot of shit where you know he was uh creating these like portals in really obnoxious ways um to completely bypass traps or or anything else kind of along those sorts of lines and like you know i don't know it is it is a tough it's a tough line to walk, especially with magic. And especially with magic that, like, you know, like in Hearthstone terms, you'd call this tech, right? That, like, techs against itself. Um, yeah, you know, like... like a, yeah. Uh, finish your sentence, sorry. Well, so, like, a good example of this is in Hell's Rebels, when you guys were dealing with, uh, like, the boiling blood poison. All it really took was for Jimmy to level up and take delay poison, or, like, communal delay poison, or whatever he took for that kind of mechanic to lo no longer be an issue... Um, and I knew that that was the case, but there is a certain part of me that's a little bit frustrated that that's the case, right? You know what I mean? Because, like, uh, and, and there are other spells that are sort of like this, too. I've complained in the past about, um, especially in, like, kind of survival games, the ability to create food and water is really bad. And I think that that's not fun or interesting um, because it, it kind of completely outmodes any of the... Um, like, you know, like, you it, it says you don't need to forage to survive, right? You don't need to worry about your intake of food. You don't need to worry about your intake of water um, just because you have a level one spell. And so I think that, like, there are times when the Vancian magic fails, even when it is specific, just because the, you know, you can't build a whole giant massive spell list um, for every, you know, like, for every context accurately. So I I, I think that you, you've hit on a couple things there, and... Um, first one, I'm, I'm going to just go back to your point about, about the portal thing. That's true. I really rambled in that one. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fine. Um, I, I think this is, this is, uh, this goes back to our kind of rule of cool episode. Um, we're like, it's not that Lawrence did that once, right? It's that the, the power is there for Lawrence to do that. And, you know, I'm not, not trying to besmirch Lawrence. Um, the, the power is there for a person to do that every time and every single encounter. And mm -hmm. while it's cool when you do it once, it is annoying when it is the thing that you do every time and kind of feels cheap in, in that way. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, we, we, we talked about some solutions there. It's just kind of like, whether that's an out-of-game conversation, you try and kind of, you know, have enemies, you know, your hero's done this a bunch of times, so word's gotten around and they figured out a way to get around it somehow. Um, that portal thing seems, feels like it'd be hard to work around. There's um, also there's also a certain amount of kind of like at the table what it's like. Uh, not that Lawrence did this necessarily, but I have definitely run into encounters where that kind of thing happens. Where like, if if you just tell me on paper what's happening, I'm kind of fine with it. But there's a certain amount of kind of like smugness 
um, that goes along with it that all of a sudden like really sours the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, like it because because people do this, uh, and it frankly does bother me when like you get when you frame it like you're getting one up on the GM, right? Ha ha! You know, like I beat you, and it's like, boy, does that just make you want to like? Give somebody fucking leprosy yeah. and their arm falls off. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> because, like, I think that that's just, uh, I don't know, that's like an un... Um, just like an unfun way to kind of play the game. I, I mean, this this rolls into my general aversion to any kind of adversarial relationship between the players and the GM. I think that is entirely inappropriate um, and makes the game worse. Uh, and it's probably the subject of a future episode. But there's only like a piece of that in there, right? Yeah. Where it's like, how how uh, how much are you kind of celebrating the moment for allowing you to kind of stretch your wings and do something neat? Um, and how much are you using that as a way to kind of like style on somebody? Um, yeah, yeah. And, and I I I, th- I think that's actually a really interesting discussion. I won't get into it here. Um, I'm pretty sure we're probably just going to disagree on a matter of degree or like semantics, but that that makes that makes for an interesting future episode. Um, but that's kind of one of the limits of fancy and magic. Is my point is that like when you uh, like you you have to sort of stifle those kinds of um, like creative um, and unconventional ways to work with the system because so much of the so much of the magic in Pathfinder and in D&D is built around controlling against abuse cases. Yeah. Um that makes sense. Um but I, I did want to address the delay poison thing and the create food thing cuz I I think sure. those are interesting problems. Um I think part one of this is that um I think it's Harder for this to, to make set work because you only ever w- run one group through something, right? Like, if you were playing... Like, I, I like comparing this to a video game because I think this is the, it's the best way to illustrate it. Um, if, let's say we were playing Hell's Rebels, the video game, and Chapter 3 always has, like, the 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 uh, the, 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 the Savophage, um, and it's always a poison... And on your first run through the game, you play a fighter, and he doesn't have access to this magic, um, and so he has to deal with it, and that's always resource expenditure for him there, but he, he gets to, like, do something else, I don't know, like, jump better or something, so he gets to jump other gaps easily. But when you're playing through on your ranger playthrough, you have access to the delay poison magic, and so you get to kind of um, uh, deal with that easily i i feel like you know the idea that because you have you've brought this person to the party you don't have to deal with these problems is valid but it's hard to kind of appreciate that perspective when you only ever run through the game where that challenge is no longer there if that makes sense yeah Uh, i think i think it works out pretty okay in hell's rebels because it took a couple of sessions to get there just because like you need to level up to get a new spell slot to get a you know what i mean um, to get the ability to cast this spell. And so there's a certain amount of time for that, and I feel like that feels good and feels like progression, right? Yeah. Over the course of a couple of different sessions, you're running into this problem again and again, but then you level up and you look at your spell list and you go, oh man, it would actually be really useful to take Delay Poison to stop this from being a thing. Um, that feels pretty good, but I feel like, you know, if I'm in a world where, uh, like, and the, this is the Create Food and Water example, if I'm in a world where 
I'm preparing you guys for a survival game, right? Like, we talk about this, like, horror game that I've talked about in the past where, you know, you get shipwrecked and then you have to go through this jungle. Um, and it is about, uh, you know, the the kind of brutality of nature and what, what, what the world looks like without kind of civilization to protect you and stuff like that. If you know you're walking into that game and you're playing a druid and you take create food and water at level one that is the kind of opposite of that approach. Or even if you kind of take create food and water at level three, you know, like it's such a core part of the experience, right? Like the boiling blood stuff is a core part of the experience, but I'm okay with it being a core part of the experience that you guys kind of outmode. I don't know that I would ever want in a survival game for it to be outmodable for you to ignore entirely, like buy rings of sustenance. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I so feel like that breaks it. So I think that, there's a couple of things there, and I think I think part of the problem is with with Vancey and Magic, um, uh, is you can have kind of this, un or at least as it's implemented in Pathfinder and D D, is you can have this unlimited spellbook, right? Yeah. Um, so like I feel like it's less of a problem if it's a real choice to take that, right? Like I feel like a sorcerer giving up one of his precious spell known slots for a create food or water, food and water type thing, um is a lot more meaningful and impactful than um, a wizard who just kind of adds it to his spell book and, and uses it whenever he needs to. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, I think part of, part of it um, can be like, I think, I think create water is a lot less, a lot easier to get access to um, in kind of the general case. And I think that that's, um, I, I think that maybe that's not as big a deal, right? Cause I, I, I think the ability, like, Kind of the in, in order of, of, of necessity, you know, you need you need water every day, but you can go a little while without food. And personally, at least, I think I think that having access to water all the time probably isn't as big a deal. Um, well, you still have to forage for food. Um, I think there's a couple of things there that you can do to kind of get around this issue. Is is one, um, uh, is if it's a high enough level spell, right? Like if it takes like a level three slot, mm. right? Like not like at level, but like you need to be level five to cast it. I think maybe that's like at about the point where it's okay. Um, the other thing that you can do is using the new rarity system is if you make it a an uncommon spell and you have to com complete some significant tax task to actually get access to that spell, I think that can also make it um, all right, right? Because it's, it's like... It, it's essentially saying that, like, we're committing some resources, like, we're going on an adventure, basically, to get access to this spell to obviate this problem. Um, kind of in the same way, maybe you'd, like, I don't know, in a, in a, in a longer-term survival game, you'd set up a farm so that you're never in danger of starving if you're close to home. Um, I think that can that can kind of hit those, those same notes. What, what, what do you think about that? Uh, I mean, I agree, and I think at the end of the day, rarity is a better system for this because you wouldn't like and have traditionally not liked my regular answer, which is just sometimes you just ban shit off the spell list, right? Like, it's my opinion that at the end of the day, not every spell is... Like, I think Create Food and Water is a good spell. It should be in the spell book because not every game is a survival game, right? And it's one of those things where, like, oh, maybe book three is you guys go to this uncharted island because you're looking for an adventurer who got lost because he had a journal with you know, a map to the to the gem of Arcadia or something like that. Well, just made a whole story hook off the top of my head. Go me. Anyway, um, and so, like, okay, so for that book three, it makes sense for, you know, 
you're doing a very light sort of kind of trek through the wilds and you prepare yourself and you get create food and water. Okay. That's not like a vector that I'm particularly worried about. That's fine. Um, you get it and you move on. Uh, so in a, in a kind of in, over in the course of a small experience or a small game, right. Uh, you solve the problem. Um, but in the course of a big game where that is a core kind of like feature, there are just some spells that you can't entertain, right? I mean, Green Food and Water isn't even the worst one of these. The worst one of these is something like fucking teleport, you know? If you're playing a game where you're lost in the jungle, right, and you are completely away from civilization because, you know, of whatever else, as soon as you hit high enough level to cast fucking teleport, the campaign is over. You teleport home. Do you know what I mean? So you have to ban that spell or whatever other spells, um, you know, that, that would break those kinds of core experiences. Whereas, you know, Hell's Rebels would suck without teleport. Teleport is just a really useful spell to help make the, the plot of that game run. And so uh, it's kind of my opinion that not every spell should be accessible in every game and that some shit isn't going to be fair game sorry you know that's like that, that that's just the way to play it um but i think rarity is ultimately the better way to do that than outright banning it um because i do think putting a big tax up front is useful and interesting right you know what i mean like getting you know fine maybe you're you know maybe you can never have teleport in a survival game because it, you know as soon as the wizard learns that spell the game is over um but create food and water doesn't break the game to that point. It just kind of breaks one of the mechanics. And it's a mechanic I'd argue that is a core mechanic, right? That you need to manage not just your resources like spells and hit points, um, but like hunger and thirst level or whatever. But if you're willing to invest, you know, time and energy to go fulfill this side quest to get 10,000 gold so that you can, you know, get to the merchant and buy a super overpriced page of spell knowledge or you know like whatever hoops you kind of have to jump through i think having it be a real expenditure of time money um you know all of that stuff is is useful and those kinds of decisions are something that should be driving any of these games right like i'm currently working on a kind of quasi survival game along those lines and part of that is about breaking up you know the item shop gold and experience based on your progress where you get to make the choice okay do i want experience do i want gold do i want access to the item shop right like those choices are core and should be core and if you get a lead that says i get a powerful weapon that shouldn't be all that different than getting a lead that says here's uh you know here's how you get create food and water do you know what i mean yeah um i i think that I think that you, you you've you've mostly you, you've mostly got it right. Um, I, I honestly think what this comes back to is um, the the issue is, and you know, this is I, I think this is solved sideways by rarity, which I'm I'm not super happy about. Um, which is that when you level up, you get access to um, X number of free spells that you can just pick. Um, right. I think that that's like the real problem, right? Like yeah. You, um. Uh, and. Rarity kind of sideways solves this by saying that you can't just pick some spells because they're 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 rarer, um, and I understand why you need that. That way, you know you have something to do with your fancy new spell slots. Um, but I think if if you could find a better way to kind of like get around that 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 particular feature, it might be um, 
like like I could I could I could see like you know there's a survival campaign where your goal is to get home, right? Um, and I think maybe like the the goal of that campaign is you know the way you decide to solve this is to figure out how to get teleportation into the wizard spellbook is maybe not a bad kind of goal. I, I I think part of this too is kind of where kind of like the the the, the scope of the adventure meets kind of like what the power level of the players is supposed to be. Because mm-hmm. um, like at some point um the survival check should be trivial too, right? Like survival checks to 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 find food and water. Um I think the 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 kind of rough edge there is like when is surviving in a jungle no longer a level appropriate challenge for the characters that you're um that you're playing as um and like does that does like the survival campaign by necessity need to like be a camp like have another hook by level nine when you get when you would get access to teleport um and you know i think teleport is an extreme example i think you've got a better case for like making that uh, on a restricted list than something else but but i i think the sentiment's still there right like yeah. it is surviving the jungle uh is food management no longer a level appropriate challenge for level five characters let's say mm-hmm. um um uh, what, what what do you think of of, of that dimension? You know, I I am actually kind of unsure how to answer that because I don't know because I've never played in a system like this or like a game like this. Um, like I have always believed that encumbrance is a good system that nobody uses because it's tedious, and I feel like you could sit and find a version of. Um, like like food and water that's this way, but I kind of don't. I, I don't know that I would mind it if um, food and water management in a survival game was something that like you know like so in in a survival game where everybody kind of gets to make a choice about what they do during the day. Um, if the ranger just wants to be the one scrounging up food all the time, that makes that's fine. You know what I mean? Like it's better than somebody like maybe if create food and water had an eight hour cast time. I would be more okay with it. Uh, because, like, it's it's a real-time investment every single day to do that. Because um, that's essentially what the survival checks are, right? Like, the ranger spends however many hours rolling these survival checks. And he might not make, you know, like, and he might not make them buy enough to get enough food for everybody, right? Um, and somebody might have to, you know, roll fortitude saves because they're starving or something kind of along those lines. Um I don't know that that the, those working through that stuff. I feel like is a is a judgment call that would have to be made inside of the game and inside of the system in a way that I don't have a good answer to. I mean, obviously, like like the teleport example is easy because it's so fucking obvious, right? But like overland flight is similar, right? It's also a level five spell, but and and it also allows you to like travel in in kind of unencumbered ways, um, but it's also like. That, that's much more on the line, right? And uh, and finding where, you know, like, where things fall on the line, I think is, um, I don't know, I think it's a big concern. I do think I would prefer the game if you couldn't just choose any spell. I think that's really what it comes down to uh, in, in some of these ways. Like, I sort of wish that when you leveled up, you got access to new spells or whatever, and you could go to the local Mages Academy and pull out anything from their spell books that they have. But I sort of wish that it there there wasn't that sort of like implicit free spell in there, and that it was something you specifically had to go out and learn. Yeah, maybe it's just a a a, a function of more aggressively, um, 
what's the word? More aggressively classing some spells as uncommon. I'm actually curious what teleport teleports common in because I'm, I'm not sure off the top of my head. I'm gonna look it up now. Um, if you, or if it even exists, does it not exist. Teleport. Uh, do do. Just touched. Uh, within range. The the teleportation is not. Uh. Precise, what's the range of this? 100 miles, 10 minute casting. Doesn't have. Oh, it's color coded. And I don't remember what the colors are. Um, you remember what the uh, what the rarity fucking system is in this game? No, I, I have no fucking idea. This is one thing that I wish. I wish they just wrote that down. Um, I think that's in the, the beginning. It. Um, do. Sorry. Uh, for for this. Uh, no, I'm, lo I'm looking it up too, trying to figure it out. Alignment, character creation, rarity. There we go. It's all the way. Um, marked in black, marked in red. So, teleport is an uncommon spell already. So may, maybe, maybe, maybe they're already solving this for us. Yeah, that's actually kind of nice. That that teleport is already an uncommon spell. Um, um so I, I also think that part of this maybe is, maybe is, so so how do you feel about like. Doing kind of the 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 mental labor to, um, to come up with a, a better in-universe reason, um, versus kind of like banning it. Like you know, you could do you could do like this this create food and water uh thing, one of two ways, or like this teleport thing. Let's just use teleport because we've been using teleport a couple of ways, right? You could say one that um teleport it you know teleports uncommon, so you can't use it. Two, you could do your thing which is like sorry guys because of the nature of this campaign we just can't have teleport on the spell list or you could come up with some in-world justification which is like you know you're surviving and there's like a magical temple in the middle of the of, of the jungle and it's got basically like an anti-teleportation field around it that either makes teleportation impossible or only lets you teleport when we, like somewhere inside the shell but you can't teleport across the shell yeah i mean i i have i have a couple of feelings about this um i think i prefer i think so if i'm a player i think i just prefer things being banned right um like i said i don't like adversarial kind of relationships but i also don't like the idea that like you know the gm is getting one up on me in that sense um yeah. I mean, I, th I think if he makes it clear ahead of time, right? Like, if, if, if you, like, if you say to the players, you know, like, like when we're, you know, teleport you know, comes to level a, nine, you, like, <laughs> le level seven, you, you find, like, a stone, and you're, like, you make your arcana check, and it says that you can't teleport, like, you know, like, there's an anti-teleportation field, and so that solution is going to be hard, if not impossible. Yeah, so this actually reminds me a lot of our talk about, like, resurrections, um, I guess this is like in the Batman vs. Superman episode, right? I like resurrections when they are telegraphed to the audience that somebody is coming back. If somebody dies and you know that person is coming back, you tell the audience, right? You foreshadow it at the moment because otherwise it feels like the I'm, I'm being tricked, right? Um, and I feel like it's something kind of along those lines. I just, I don't mind, I don't mind like entertaining certain things for the sake of the game, right? And so if the GM tells me, hey, listen... This isn't on the spell list because it would break the game. 
okay, fine. Yeah, like be upfront with me about it, right? But like, if it's one of those things where, you know, especially if it, if it happens this way, if I take create food and water and then I cast a bunch of create food and waters and the GM makes us all roll fortitude saves and we all get sick because, you know, we're malnourished because if you eat, if you do, if you eat conjured food too much, you get a disease or something like that, right? Like that would piss me off. Because I've already, you know what I mean? Because I've already, like, invested resources. It just be upfront with me. Just say, you know what? Create Food and Water kind of, like, fucks with the game or whatever. So we're, I'm putting it on the ban list. Or even maybe a, word, a world where it's like, hey, listen, the Food and Water that you create has, like, nourishment value, but it's all carbs, no vitamins and minerals, and you'll really fuck your body up um, if you eat it multiple days in a row. You have to supplement it with something else, right? And so it's like, okay, one meal a week can be create food and water or something like that. Okay, upfront, fine, right? I get that. And, you know, like uh, an upfront kind of in-character nerf to the spell. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, um, create, I'm just, I was looking it up, uh, create food and water are uh, are both common, um, and they're level 1 and 2, which might be a little bit early for those. To yeah, and I don't mind that, because I think for the vast majority of campaigns, that's fine. You know, it doesn't come up. It is specifically for the context of a specific game like this one, right? And it, and it comes up with other spells in other situations, too, right? If you're playing a political game, spells like Charm Person or whatever can also throw those games out of whack just as easily. Um and so you might need to do, you know, you might need to do like curtailing efforts in order to make it so that those things don't solve all of your problems. Because yeah, I mean, in some games, walking up to the nobles that you need to sign this paper or whatever, and you just use charm person on them or whatever, like that's fine. But in a game where one of the core aspects, one of the core mechanics of the game is kind of the political intrigue of it, you have to kind of punish that behavior by saying, you know, it's incredibly gauche to use magic to get your way and you'll and it's taboo and you'll make yourselves pariah um or something kind of along those lines yeah, but right? like, isn't that already built into the spell like charm person always says that like you know like the person knows they've been charmed when the spell spell ends sure oh. i i just mean like playing up those kinds of consequences okay, I see. right in a game because like in a game where i feel like a normal DD game where you're kind of moving from town to town solving a problem in one town by charm personing like yeah maybe the person knows they've been charmed or whatever like the evil duke got charmed at his birthday party and he's real mad at the party or whatever right but it's kind of like a one and done there's not a lot of consequences to that but sure. in, a, in a game like hell's rebels if you guys spend the majority of book one charm personing your way through the problems right by books two three and four nobody ever wants to take a fucking meeting with you because they're just going to keep getting charmed right or everybody walks into every meeting with mind blank or kind of whatever else you need to sort of um you know like whatever else you need to kind of like solve those sorts of problems yeah uh, but like i don't know I, I think i'm in favor of like doing that on the kind of um on on inside the story right like you know we we go to charm someone and, and mateo's like ah oh, you shouldn't do that People aren't going to like it, and maybe someone's like, I'm not going to work with you if you do that, because that's manipulative. Mm -hmm. um, or, like, you do it once, and then that person comes storming, like, what the fuck were you thinking, you asshole? I'm never dealing with you again, and I'm reporting you to, you know, to whatever minor authority to right fucking now. fucking the police. Yeah. The city guard, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But the point is, is that, you know, there are plenty of different spells that work in plenty of different ways that you know, break plenty of different games. Scrying is another good example of this. Everything needs to have anti-scry. I mean, like, so, some of this stuff is not problems. You guys didn't do a lot of scrying in Hell's Rebels. 
Um, you did a small amount, right, which was kind of okay. But uh, when you can get into some kinds of campaigns where it just always is about scrying and you're like, you know, constantly scrying on your on your opponents and stuff like that, like, yeah, that's something that needs to be curtailed um, to to a certain extent. Yeah, um, I, 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 I think I think I'd warn against this, like, consider consider like like carefully if it actually needs to be curtailed right like yeah like i think that, that like you know like you said there's a lot of situations where this stuff is all right um and like scrying on people scrying on people in a political campaign is probably a, a a bigger problem than just you know first of all a lot of things you don't get to scry on things indiscriminately right like you can make a whole thing about getting a, th- a thing from a person mm-hmm. and uh and and you know so that you can scry on, you know, like you you go pickpocket a a, a a thing from the wizard. That way you can scry on him in this tower. I think that's a fine kind of trade off that you you know you have to actually put in the effort to go find something in order for the scrying spell to work. And you know maybe the wizard, maybe even then the wizard's like already got his his scrying anti scrying things up because he's a wizard and he's paranoid. And you telegraph that ahead of time. I I think I you know as in all things this is like about like the 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 execution right like. When you go to pickpocket it, you know you 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 happen to pickpocket his list of anti-scrying spells um, that he's got that he remembers to refresh every day or whatever, and so he's like, oh well, this this plan's probably not the greatest plan anyway. Um, yeah. Um, but I'm I'm curious, just kind of bring this back because because you know look, looking through, I, I just briefly glanced at the druid again. Um, uh, every like you cap out at three spells per spell level. Um, uh in Pathfinder 2e, which is significantly more limited than it was in, in, in 1e. Um, and it gets to be a while, I think, before, like, those lowest-level spell slots become completely useless. Um, do you think that that's enough of a mitigating factor, right? Like, if every day your druid is down one of their, uh, you know, at, at level 3, your your druid is down one of his two level 2 slots to create food for the party, um, do, you, do you not think that that's not enough of a cost Right. I don't think that's enough of a cost. Um, I think that there are, like, a lot of these ones I am fine with kind of in-character solutions, right? Like, I think an in-character solution for Charm Person is okay. I actually kind of like that malnutrition solution. I think that that's pretty clever. Like, you know, you can only have a, a conjured meal once every two or three days or something like that. Um, uh, because it could otherwise, like, seriously, like, fuck with your health. Um... But for the but for the most part, sometimes it's just like, why are we doing legwork around this stuff? Just ban it. Do you know what I mean? Well, I mean the reason you, it's, it's the same reason. Like, I don't know. I I feel like that that's kind of a a, a non uh, a non a non starter, right? Because like it's like why why do the leg why have magic solve any problem besides blasting, right? Like that's part of those those characters' identity, right? Like why have why have uh, clerics be able to cure poison? Just ban it if you want poison in your campaign, which, which seems like an overwrought reaction to, to something that, you know, there, there's like, like that's part of that character's identity, right? Like wants to solve this problem in a way that makes sense. I mean, in a campaign that is very focused on like poison and how poison works, I might consider banning like, you know, banning like poison spells. Like if this whole campaign was about Beastmen instead of about, you know, like Beastmen is a subplot that really only stretched for two books. But if the whole campaign is about fighting the beastmen maybe i would ban a bunch of the poison stuff 
because otherwise, because I think, you know, the boiling blood mechanic is core to the game in the way that, like, managing food and water resources is core to a survival game. Yeah, you know I, what I mean? I don't know if I agree. I, I think I think that, that just, like, messes with the, like, core with what the game, like, what, what the game of Pathfinder is. I mean, I'm not, I definitely don't think that you should do, you should spring that on somebody, right? Like, I wouldn't want to do it, like in the middle of the game, somebody has taken delay poison and you say, oh, no, you the delay poison is not on your spell list. You have to choose another spell or something like that. I feel like you just do it up front and you say, hey, listen, for the purposes of this game, create food and water, overland flight, teleporter band, right? Or, and whatever else. Be, to, to just get it, you know, like to just not dwell on it, not, you know. Yeah, I. but, but uh, what, uh, if you're going to use that as, as like your kind of like, solve all tool for all, all your problems at what point are you actually letting the players solve problems i mean it's an arbitrary point obviously right you're you are drawing a line but i am very comfortable drawing that line yeah. I, I understand the argument like it is like a slippery slope argument to a certain extent right like do you ban uses of the stealth skill so that you can stealth around encounters or whatever right like obviously not right there's a big difference in severity between those two things um but, uh, but yeah, I think that there's a, there is a line somewhere and that line might be drawn around a handful of spells to not invalidate, you know, things that you want to be kind of core mechanics of your game. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I think you might be, I think you might be, be underestimating the, like, I, I think that casting half of your level two, like of your, 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 your premier magic every day to, to keep yourself from starving, I think it's, is, is, is a pretty, pretty dire cost especially for a, a person who is a full spellcaster like i don't know that, that just feels like an appropriate cost to me that that you can that you can get around those those types of problems especially if like that's the thing that you're you're doing as as your druid right like if you're in a survival game like and that's like a i feel like create food's like a core piece of druid magic right like that's that's core to the um the kind of druid experience and they're not going to have ways to add to their spell book otherwise right like you 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 know if you're in the jungle that that means that the only spells you get is is out of your um is out of your level up kind of powers um even though it, it, it does make that 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 problem kind of trivial it makes the combat harder right and that's kind of a the more interesting thing anyway so this is kind of see okay it's not also about it's about trivializing like an entire swath of mechanic right it'd be like if there was a spell in the game that was a level you know like that was a level one spell that killed everything you know what i mean that just, like and it completely outmoded combat in general right that spell obviously doesn't exist right let's say slay living is a level one spell and it can target a number of of enemies up to five times your hit dice or whatever, right? Like, this is a super broken spell, but it is a spell that would trivialize combat because you just walk into combat, cast Slay Living, walk out of combat. Do you know what I mean? And I feel like sure. that's the exact same thing that's going on, right? But whereas Slay Living doesn't exist on that level because that would be inappropriate, right? If it did on that level, I would have the authority as the GM to ban it for trivializing combat. And it's the same sort of thing, right? Like, not quite on that level of... I wouldn't say that Create Food and Water is trivializing something that is as important as combat. I think Pathfinder is centered around combat in a way that it is really centered around nothing else, right? Um... 
But when you say, okay, I'm going to take this system, I'm going to take this food and water system, right? And like checks against fatigue and exhaustion and fortitude checks or whatever. And I'm going to say, that is a very low level system in Bath Pathfinder, but I'm going to upgrade it. And I'm going to say, this is a core secondary system that is important to the context of this game. By making that choice, by taking it from a very low level um like a low-level mechanic and a low-level piece of the game and highlighting it specifically, that changes the context of the rest of the how the rest of the game is built, which justifies those changes. And some of those changes might be as drastic as, I need to ban teleportation. As soon as you learn teleport, you break the game. Do you know what I mean? I, 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 um, I see what you're saying. And I know teleportation feels better to me because, one, I think there's better way... Like, I think there's... A lot of ways around that in in universe and that's that's a different argument but i also think it's not as core to kind of like what a wizard is as kind of like i think i think that that kind of like ability to 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 kind of interact with nature in that way is, is really very core to, to what a druid is and i don't know it feels like it's i mean i i think it's okay in certain other positions like for instance goodberry is like a is a spell that you can cast but it requires a reagent you have to have like mistletoe or something like that Good, good um, berry also works differently. Um, yeah, yeah, because I also think, yeah, I, I might be thinking of the five E version of good berry. Yeah, yeah, no, no, right? five, like, five, good, good berry and five E does does work. But like, so for instance, a version of a version of five E good berry, right? There's actually there's actually a YouTube video on this um, from a from a series called the Animated Spellbook where they talk about the spell good berry. Um, good berry doesn't doesn't consume the reagent, doesn't consume the mistletoe or whatever the reagent is. So all you need to do is find it, and then you can just keep casting good berry for forever. But what the guy points out in the video is he's like, well, actually, if it consumes the reagent, then it makes it interesting because now you kind of have two ways to approach the problem you can have your ranger go out and um and forage for food or you can have you know your ranger go out and try and find more reagents to cast this so that the wizard can cast the spell or the druid can cast the spell or kind of like whatever else right and some of these and you know like kind of any of these changes right all, all of these things are justified because of how you are tweaking the other systems in the uh, in the context of the game right like i like you don't necessarily have to go to ban it Though I think sometimes that might be appropriate because, you know, if something is is uh, if something has that consequence, that is super dire consequence um, of the entire campaign is outmoded as soon as you learn teleport. There really isn't another way to do that besides banning it. And I don't like the in character like the version of things where oh there's a big ta there's a tower or whatever and it fucks with your teleport magic so you can't cast teleport. Why why are you going through that? Just ban it. You know what I mean? Like I mean you're you're going through that because like it 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 feels better. I think like I, I think that that kind of thing is not like I don't know. I feel like anti magic fields are a thing that exists in D and D and I I, I feel like. Doing something that's in-world is always a better solution than doing something out-of-world. Um, I feel like that just takes up bandwidth. And it almost feels like rules lawyery to me. Where I feel like just banning it just stops that whole conversation dead. You just move on, right? And well, I don't have a problem with that because, like, I trust my GM not to be a dick about it. Or I trust my GM to be reasonable, right? Like, you know, if I am playing a druid and I want to create food and water and my GM says, I'm banning food and water. And you say, hey, wait, no, I really want to make something work out of this. Maybe you can negotiate him down and say, okay, fine. You create food and water still exists. 
but you know you can't you can only eat it once every three days otherwise you start taking checks against malnutrition whatever you know like whatever the case may be um that is that is kind of right a, a change that is an in-world change that is not as drastic as you know that's not as drastic as ban it yeah, I I think I'm. Just but I feel gonna... like, a, but I feel like a lot of times when you were just banning something, people weren't even going to use that solution anyway, and so it just cops out, and people are reacting reacting to kind of like the imagined slight, if that makes sense. Um, I don't know. I, I think I think I'm just going to fundamentally disagree with you on this one. I I think banning things outright is is just kind of like bad and lazy design. Um, if you can't if you can come up with an easy in world excuse for something not to to work i think that's a much better solution like it's not that much effort to say you know there's an anti-magic field and uh, like i i think that that's like you know yeah i know but so, so what bothers me about that is it feels like i'm being lied to as a player i feel like i'm fucking staring at a spoon with mashed potatoes and my parent is trying to tell me that it's an airplane i'm supposed to open my mouth it's a it's a fucking spoon. I know it's a spoon. Don't lie to me about it. You know what I mean? The spell is banned. Don't make up some in-universe justification to ban the spell. Just ban the spell. Just be honest with me. You know I, what I mean? I, I'm, I'm just going to have the the opposite perspective. <laughs> I, like, I, I think that you banning it is like, my GM was too lazy to come up with a, a good reason to, to have it not work in universe, even though it's a staple of, of, the, of the genre. Yeah, I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't know. It just feels like, I, I don't know. I think yeah, that's no, I, I, I think, I think it's just going to end up being a difference uh, of perspective. But I think obviously, if you're if you are making some kind of in character exception to the idea, right? Like maybe you know, like maybe the solution to the campaign is to destroy the tower with the anti magic field sure. so that you can teleport home. Okay, fine, right? That is that is better than the tower is up, the field is going to be active for the rest of the game. You will never be able to take teleport. Don't even bother. Like, <laughs> oh, see, see, but th that that's that's kind of the difference in my mind, right? It's like you put it up there, and that's just kind of like, in, in kind of a game that's like this this kind of open field, right? Like in, in an RPG where you, you know, the players presumably aren't aren't on a set of railroad tracks, right? Like, if they want to decide that, you know, well, the solution then is to go take down the tower, or the solution is to figure out a way, to, like pierce that magic in some other way, or the solution is to just navigate your way out of the jungle because that's easier. Um, I think those are like. I think having that option open to the players is is going like, is is you know, point blank a better thing to do, right? Like to, to kind of leave that up to the players to decide that that's how they want to solve the problem. And maybe, maybe that's kind of where we're approaching this differently. Is like when I hear there's a teleportation tower up, right, or like an anti teleportation tower mm -hmm. up, my first thought is like, is it worth trying to to take that down, or is it worth trying to figure out a different solution around the problem? Whereas to you, it sounds like that that's just kind of like that's not actually an option that I could think of doing, and that's just kind of like a weak, like a kind of lazy, weak in universe, uh, uh, in universe excuse rather than a a weak out out of universe uh, excuse. And I, I think at that point, I think maybe I agree with you, right? Like if your point is that it's never going to be an option anyway, then yeah, it's probably better to do it out. That, yeah. That, that is game. what I, that is what I definitely mean about it. I, I okay. see what you're getting at. Um, and I, and I agree with you that if it is something, if it is like open-ended like that, um, that's fine. Maybe the tower is a bad idea because like a tower is something you could interact with. But like, if the answer was something like, Oh, the jungles of jungle Donia, are saturated with magic that prevent long-range teleportation. F the fuck do I do with that? You know what I mean? Like, 
that like what what if if it is a if it is a convenient in universe excuse see, to justify oh banning, then just ban it. See, right? I, I I really like that because like that's also like a hook, right? Like that's why you're exploring the jungle in the first place. Because it's so, so seeped with magic that it, like, you know, it keeps all these, like, normal magic tricks that we have from working. I don't know. Like, that sounds a lot more, for whatever reason, that sounds a lot more compelling to me than just banning it outright. But that also requires it being part of the story. Um, yeah, I mean, anywhere where I think it's part of the story, that's fine. Really, what I'm just saying is, like, I, I don't think in-universe, like, in-universe justifications of otherwise banning something is appropriate. Just yeah. ban it move on nobody's gonna think about it past fucking character creation right because like that's kind of the other thing about it is that like you're kind of constantly bringing it back up and you're reminding the player of something that they will never be able to do see if I, that makes uh, sense i don't know like th this is weird because like this is me like this is me like thinking about like the the drama of the moment rather than kind of like the the crunchiness which is a weird reversal of position for us but it's like you know the moment you discover oh no we're not going to be able to just teleport home is a, is a moment of drama right like that's a moment of, of of tension that you've just built it's like you know what you know what we're gonna do we're, we're gonna go hunt in the jungle and <laughs> until like until help can arrive until like you know like our sponsors back in the old world can locate us you know you know we're supposed to be out here for three months at four months i'm sure the wizard will go scry on us and teleport us home right we just have to survive for four months and then like a month and it's like guys help's never coming they can't like help can't come because there's too much there's too much magic juice in the ground or whatever right like okay I get that, and I really appreciate that you are taking, like, the typical me position in this. But I just want to point out to you the typical you position in this, which would be outrage that the plan you guys have been working on this entire time hasn't been workable since the very beginning, right? So, like, 1,000%. No, no. There so, would be outrage at that table. No, like, you're, you're, abs you're absolutely right, and I think that it depends on a couple of different factors there right like <laughs> if if you are actively work so like if the plan is actively worked towards that solution then you telegraph it earlier right like you telegraph yeah. that a day in um if the plan is you know like sit on your ass for like either if the plan is you know if the, if something makes not in game time but table time taking up a lot of that time then it's a problem. But if, like, you know, well, the first month is is just them fighting to, to survive anyway, then it's okay because they're not actually putting a lot of effort towards... It's very much how much in game, like, at table time is put towards that plan. That's the issue, right? Like, if it's a month of in-game time, but that passes in a second because, like, oh, we found a solution and we decided to sit around for a month and you say a month passes, right? Like, I think that's also not a problem because... The, the players haven't put any effort towards that plan, even if theoretically the characters are. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I also think that this is a problem that gets solved with a like, good foreshadowing, right? Yeah. Like, this is kind of what happened with the Nadal thing. I think I, I was actually worried that you guys were going to be pissed at me, uh, but you pretty much took it in stride. And I think it was because there was a very good in-universe justification for it, right? Like, you were working off of subjective intel, right, that was bad, and there was an obvious 
reason why it was bad that hypothetically you could have thought of, right? Like, when they say, oh, it'll take them six months to raise an army, fucking, you know, Weirin could have been like, hey guys, didn't we just send a horde of beastmen north into Nadal? Wouldn't they have had to raise an army to fight that? Or something like that? Like, that feels a lot better, I think, than if it had just been like, nope, they were fucking wrong, there's no reason, yeah. you know, like, it, it feels better to have, like, that kind of foreshadowing and that sort of plot twist be, um, like, justified by in-universe stuff. By in-universe actions that have been well-reported to the party, like, like in advance, right? Um, but yeah, anywhere where I think that there is kind of a story solution to some of these problems, I think that uh, banning it wouldn't be, like, wouldn't be appropriate. And hypothetically speaking, I do think that you could probably come to some sort of, you know, conclusion about it, um you know, sort of, like, one way or the other. Um, but I also think that the GM has purview to lock down certain, you know, like, certain things, like... Um, you as, know, I, as, here's, an, here's an interesting idea. You know, this this puts a lot in the hands of the players and takes it out of the GM, but how do you feel about something like, you know, it's like, you know, we're going to have this survival campaign, and I'm going to tell you up front that this solution can't work because of the game, um, and that's kind of, like, the design justification and uh, I don't have an in-universe justification for it yet, but I'll come up with one. Or, like, you know, maybe you guys can help me come up with one. Does, 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 does that sound like... I don't know. That, 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 that just seems like a neat idea to me. Uh, I think sometimes that's okay, I guess. I don't know. Like, I, I'm, I'm also thinking, like, for instance, you couldn't learn mulch tongue to communicate with Beastmen because of an in-universe... And I made that up on the spot. Because of an in-universe justification for how that spell works. Sure. Where the language needs to be programmed into the spell in order to... For comprehend languages um, or whatever to to sort of work, right? And nobody has ever... You know, like, none of the civilized races have ever deciphered mulch tongue. And so it's never been added to the comprehend languages spell. And so it doesn't work. Um, and so I feel like that's kind of like fine in certain spots. Yeah. So, so I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to say that like, you know, when that happened, I was like, okay, whatever. But it was not like I, like, you know, I didn't think that that was like, like I was just kind of like, I, I was not super, I, I was not upset about that, but I was also not like super happy about that. If that makes mm-hmm. sense. Or I was just kind of like, okay. But see, that I, feeling of unhappiness is what I'm talking about and why I think you should just do it up front. Do you know what I mean? I didn't foresee that problem, obviously, so I couldn't, like, unload it to you beforehand. Um, but it was, you know, like, it was hypothetically a problem that hypothetically made that, like... Sure, but if, if you want to avoid that moment, uh, like, you know, for me, that was, like, a moment where I was like, okay, whatever, and I moved on. But that just, like, front loads that moment when I'm, like, looking at the band spell. It's like, okay, fine, whatever. Um, which, it's like, you know, like, neutral to minor unhappiness. It just happens moment one of the campaign which i guess you know maybe is better to get that out of the way um i also um, think i mean it's you know this isn't to say by the way that i have like endorse banning comprehend languages because obviously it has so much more utility than just trying to communicate with beastmen sure uh this was just like a decision i made on the fly let's not humanize the beastmen they are you know they have a language and they can communicate with one another but you can't pierce that veil and like talk to one um sort of sort of thing. sure and um, and you know like you know that's a, a a fine kind of uh 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 excuse for it and, and you know you know if if i wasn't kind of like 
thinking I was clever trying to talk to them in the moment, I'd probably have been like, that's a pretty good excuse. But I, I could just tell you what I felt in the moment. Yeah. Um, uh, before, and we, we've gone over the, the hour section, but fuck it. Um, something <laughs> I wanted to touch on real quick, just, be, just because, like, just because this... The, the, the reason I, I'm kind of, like, I think internally pushing back so hard on the create food and water thing, um, what's the system that you see replaces that? Because I feel like, j just to give you where I'm, I'm coming from, right, if it's just a skill check anyway, like, I feel like, re like banning the spell doesn't, like, serve the purpose that you want it to, if that So I sense. actually don't think that it should be ju just a skill check anyway. Because uh, I think the survival skill is pretty good about it because it takes your whole day. You know what I mean? Um, and like I said, if Create Food and Water had an eight-hour casting time, I would be I would be much more down for it or whatever. Because what it trivializes is like trail rations, right? And that and that stocking up beforehand, before going out on your mission, you say, okay, how many days are we going to spend out there? Two weeks? 14 days? All right, maybe we'll forage for half of that, but I want to bring out 10 trail rations with me anyway. There, that piece of it goes away if you can just create food and water reliably every day do you know what i mean and also rely like you reliably cast food and water every day and it takes like an hour and you can go out and explore with the party too because like there are instances let's say you know like let's say you're going out and you're exploring a territory or something like that and for the exploration phase you have a couple of people exploring right but you're specifically not looking to get into encounters um and so the the party is split and so you say okay well the ranger is going to forage right and the wizard is going to whatever um and it's going to like stay in camp and like try and decipher this code we got and then everybody else is going to go like look around well if people come back and they say hey we found ruins or whatever tomorrow we're gonna go for those ruins um that means that the ranger can't forage that day which means you need to find another solution to food and water and i don't like that solution being create food and water Okay, I I, I, I I get some of that. Um, I don't know. Part of me wants to say that, like, having foraging take the whole day is kind of not a great solution either because then you pigeonhole, like, the... The, the survival person into just doing that the whole like the whole day every day and they don't get to do it right but I don't think but but I think that's more of a choice than it is with magic um because the cost is that much sure higher, right sure, sure so like and so, and by the way your ranger is going to have the better survival check and maybe you want him going out and exploring because those are survival checks right so you say you know what we'll eat we'll eat one from our trail rations today and we'll and we'll head out and maybe like and this is kind of why i like the idea the malnutrition idea sort of like the more i've talked about it because i sort of like the idea you know what we'll have the wizard cast create food and water today so that the ranger can come out and help out the, help us on our exploration checks do you know what i mean yeah um i, don't, I also so just just to give you a little bit of perspective in the, in the camp the 5e campaign i'm playing in um it's obviously not as survival focused as as, as so you know it, it doesn't match one-to-one -one, but when we're traveling and uh, we set a pace, it's either this is this is actually based on an angry GM system, uh, or, you know th that old standby. Um, uh, there's you either you set a pace and it's either slow, medium, or fast, and if you go slow, um, like and each one of these in, in, entitles you to a. Uh, uh, actually, no, these ones don't. Own, so if you go fast, you don't get a forging check. If you go normal, you get a forging check at disadvantage and if you go slow you get a normal foraging check um as part of the day and i really like that system it kind of like puts a balance between like 
you know, we had to forage, um, you know, we, we had to forage for food, um, and we, we didn't make it, so, like, we're, we're, we're tacked down on rations, and, you know, you know, as we get closer to our destination, if we're running out of food, we have to slow down and, and, and take a little bit more time. I, I think that yeah. that has played out better, and obviously, like I said, it doesn't work as, as one-to-one with the survival campaign, but I like solutions that are more like that, where, like, you know, maybe foraging for food means that you you do both of those things at disadvantage or, you know, at some minus penalty because Pathfinder doesn't have disadvantage, but something like that, that doesn't kind of pigeonhole somebody into being in, into being the, the food goblin the whole time. Yeah. Okay, I feel that. Um, that is kind of the, the, the thing I wanted to, to put a bow on it was that we're, we're, I I feel like this is going to come up more and more uh, as we talk about the new game uh, yeah. that we're playing with, with 2E because these are questions that are very much on my mind when it comes to sort of exploring because and I am very much leaning towards um, keeping things open-ended just for the record um, yeah. because uh, the um like like it is i like it is a player driven game that is more about like the kind of narrative that you create for yourselves rather than you know like the narrative that i'm handing you like in something like hell's rebels so i feel like you know you have to take a kind of like lighter touch and just kind of hope for the best yeah um yeah um that's uh that's that's, that's very true that's very cool I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that but we are like hour 16 minutes in and i'm sure you want to talk about mass combat with hell's rebels oh yeah fuck i forgot that was this week yeah Yeah. man we did that mass combat session yeah how did you like that shit i thought it was i thought it was neat um i am i don't know i i liked that that like so it's one of these things where like if the rules are all out in front of me i feel obligated to kind of make the right decisions and so do it and then i don't want to do that when i'm playing D D. like this mm-hmm. always happens where it's like like in my head i want a really kind of robust tactical system that i can engage with but then when i go to sit down and play D, it's like i don't want to actually learn all of these rules to do it right i just kind of want to do it and while i'm you know and i appreciated that a lot of it was kind of abstracted out right like there was kind of like this you know these things are good for this um i feel like Maybe I could have used a little bit, like, more information off the top, right? Like, that, like, um, that, like, the sailor thing was, like, the turn after you, 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 you came off the shore. Because I, I thought it was, like, well, as long as you're, like, within whatever range of the shore. And, you know, that's fine, right? Like, you know, it, 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 I don't know. I feel like I would have been less fine with it if we had lost. But, you know, that's kind of... um. That, that's kind of like, I think that's part of the balancing yeah, you act, guys right? definitely did better than I, the, the only advantage you had on the enemy because uh, they all had they had the same number of units as you with traits they had more stealth units they had like three or four stealth units I think they had three stealth units actually yeah. um, but uh, the only advantage that you had against them like they had a, an equally sized army with two traits each on each of the blocks. Um, and so the only advantage you guys had were the special units where you could like hot, hot, give someone a trait for two rounds. Um, so I feel like you guys did pretty well for like, given that, like it was essentially even, it was an even match and you had a little bit of a thumb on the scale because you were the PCs and the PCs could interact with the game board. Yeah. No, I, I thought that, that the, uh, the PCs adding a trait was, was an elegant solution. Um, I, 
was a little disappointed because I wanted it to be like a little bit more meaty and personal, but it makes sense, right? Like that's just the, the, the best way to deal with it without worrying about throwing things to the wind. Um, yeah, I mean, the original iteration was everything was back-ended, where you had to guess. I, I would have said something like, you need to guess what the traits are for each person, right? Um, but the more I thought about that, the more I was like, nah, I should up, they should get that shit up front. Yeah, no, I... Which, I, is, which is what I was talking about. Because I, I mentioned I was tinkering with the system last minute. That's what I was doing, is I was making it public-facing. Because my original plan was to just say, okay, you need to pick eight lieutenants. Each lieutenant has strengths and weaknesses, but you don't know what any of those are. You have to guess based on what you know about them. And then I got to people like Arahe and Leor, who you kind of only vaguely know. Like, it's easy with somebody that you've been working with a lot. Like, you know Gora is going to be a very aggressive, hard fighter because, you know, like, that's... You've talked to her about what her tactics are like, but nobody's ever talked to Maznar Cliffgrove about what his fucking, you know, like, tactics would be like, so I made that change. Yeah, I think that was a good change. I also think that there's, like, there's, like, even with, e even with the people that we know, there's kind of a level of, like, you don't know what, like, the backing system looks like problem, right? Like, like, if you told me that, like, to, to kind of go and guess, like, I would guess that Gora is good at combat and, like, Masnar is good at alchemy and, like, not necessarily that that attacks, that affects these attack and defense values because that's completely invisible to me at this point. Um, but I'd be like, oh, he, he is good at fighting, so she, or she, rather, she is good at fighting, so she should be with the fighters, and he is good at alchemy, so he should be with an, a unit of, of alchemical grenade, uh, grenade, Grenade years, and what, what do you mean that there's no kind, they're all mixed? That doesn't make any sense with my conception of how it's supposed to work. And so, having at least that kind of insight, I think I think that was that was very, um, very well done. I, I have to give you props for that. Um, uh, um, yeah, I felt like back ending the 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 like the roles and everything like that. There actually were no roles. Um, uh, back ending kind of like those mechanics were important because otherwise, I feel like it would have been too tough. It made a little more sense when I was envisioning that this was a system that we were going to come back to multiple times, right? Like, in book three. But then when I was kind of like, we're only going to do it this once. We're ending the campaign or whatever. So just make it something that's, like, easy and quick to pick up and deal with the numbers on, on your end. Not that I think that the system was insanely balanced. Um, but, uh, you know, that the, the illusion of balance... I mean, it, I guess it ended up okay. The illusion of balance is kind of maintained when... Everything is back-ended like that. Yeah. Um, I also, like, so I can tell you having run some core mass combat that that system doesn't feel good because it's, like, one number and you get to do one thing and you roll, like, one D20 or several D20s against each other. And it's it's either way too much down to the whim of the D20 um, or, like, it just, like, goes on for way too long. And it's just, mm -hmm. it's, it's the ma regular mass combat is kind of as, as, as it's in there is not great. So... I, I think you did it like like I said. I think you did it a, a, a good job with that, especially with kind of like the varied battlefield. I, I think that's kind of the important part. Is mm -hmm. like the way I, the way that it plays out in core is kind of like two armies meet in the field and you roll dice at each other until one disappears, um, and that feels like you're you're not like 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 it's totally up to fate, and that just feels terrible. Yeah. Um, yeah. Plus, I always want to get into some of those. Um... You know, like, you want to flank, you want to have different units and move them around. The, like, Total War, right? Like, I, I, I don't think I, I like mass combat in a version like Europa Universalis, where you just kind of, like, 
have two armies that bump into one another. I want it to be um, I want it to be blocks of units on the field, and I can flank. I can hit somebody from the rear. You know, like those kinds of things. Yeah, no, that that that, that makes sense. Um, but I, I didn't really have anything else to talk about with uh, with with Hell's Rebels. Did you want to talk about anything else? Like any 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 insights you wanted to nope, share? No, that was that was the big part. That was it, I guess. Um. But yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. Um, so you've been playing Monster Hunter World um, and Hollow Knight uh, today. Those oh, okay. have been the cool, big. Cool, cool. I, uh, Monster Hunter World was a lot of fun. Is a lot of fun. I hit high rank. I've been um, hammering my way through a bunch of enemies. Um, it just it scratches that itch. It scratches the same kind of itch that WoW does, which is why I think I've kind of fallen off of WoW within like a week mm. of the expansion coming out. Um, uh, but yeah, I've been playing Monster, and then Hollow Knight. I started this morning, kind of on a whim. It's on sale because the last piece of um, DLC came out like a couple days ago. I um, it's the free DLC. Um, uh, it's a big content update. It's the last. They said it's the last one, which is good. Um, it's supposed to be an excellent game, and I've been having a ton of fun with it so far. It's a Metroidvania style game, um, and I, I'd, I'd have to say I highly recommend it. Um, uh, just enough kind of depths of mechanics to kind of really like dig your teeth into. With enough action there that uh, it's uh, it's it's a ton of fun. Uh, cool. If you if you like Metroidvanias that are tough, I'd, I'd recommend it. I guess do I like Metroidvanias that are tough? I haven't played too many Metroidvanias, I suppose. So, yeah. Huh? I mean, if you like, uh, you know, it's like side scroller. You have a melee weapon. It's, I don't. Know, it feels very Castlevania in a very good way. Yeah, I've been playing mostly uh, Alliance side, getting. Uh, Tonric to 120. He's pretty close now. I, I finished Stormsong Valley and I basically have finished Drusvar. And I have to say that so far, Alliance has been definitively worse than Horde. Um, specifically because th 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 I chose Drusvar, for, I'm sorry, I chose Stormsong first, which was kind of my mistake. Drusvar has been much better about this. Um, specifically because Stormsong broke that pattern that Horde side established, which is like you have the the lore master achievement right and you have these top line quests and all of the top line quests feed into this one sort of story um and goal uh and not that this is major spoilers right but just as low level spoilers for kind of the premise of the zone um there is a cult of essentially deep ones right it's like very call of cthulhu um who are kind of lurking within uh, the like the infrastructure of the zone, but the problem is four of the lore master achievements are very much dealt dealing with that, and you can tell this because like the lore master achievement always ends with the dungeon, right? Well, so I was following that story, like the the kind of cult story, and it was fine. You know, it's it's funny because in WoW, it's just funny because like when you're representing this stuff visually, it's kind of hard not to make it comical for anyone yeah. who's like a little bit genre savvy like okay the the coat of arms is a single slitted eye right with like tentacles coming up all around it and you're just like there's nothing cthulhu about these guys they're fine right like Holy shit, like, the shrines that they have are these, like, super menacing, like, octopus things. And you're just like, no, it's fine, it's just a shrine, you know, like, it's just a shrine, dude. Like, why are you kind of worried about it or whatever? But, you know, like, that's fine. But the problem is, is that I got to the dungeon by the end of four of the lore, of the eight lore master achievements. And I was like, wait, what? 
I'm already done with this shit. And there were four other lore master achievements, and I was like, where the fuck do I go for those? Because I had the breadcrumbs, but I wasn't sure which breadcrumbs were for the minor quests and which were for the major quests. So I started doing some of the other things. Um, you know, I started doing some of the other uh, quests in the zone. And I got so frustrated, to be honest, because it was just so unclear what the main storyline was. I was completely lost trying to figure out what was co what I could use to complete the lore master stuff and what was just kind of like random side area bullshit. And I ended up just basically completing every quest in the fucking zone. Um, and uh, and so that was that was very frustrating. I later learned that they rewrote some of the Stormsong story kind of late in the game, which I feel like contributes to this problem. Um, and sense. thus far, the ten lore master achievements of Dressfar have been very well linked together. Um, Dressfar is great and has and has like a cool, interesting story. It doesn't have the same sort of overarching story that Zuldazar had. Um, or the Zandalar had like in Zandalar you had the foreshadowing about uh, this is going to be some quick spoilers um, in Zandalar you kind of had some of the foreshadowing beforehand I guess I'm not actually going to end up spoiling stuff and you could see the pieces like in the different zones kind of slotting together to form the greater narrative of the overall whole because like oh you finished the main story but here's some loose ends and then here's some loose ends in this story and then here's some loose ends in this story and then they all kind of come together um and i haven't gotten that same feeling in i have i have not gotten that same feeling in cool Taras so far i don't know what the loose ends are i don't know what the main storyline is or will end up being um and these zones feel very kind of disconnected from one another um, I'm also a little bit tired of Europe, Europe, just Europe. Um, there's something very nice about, people are joking about Zandalar being Black Panther. Um, and you know, that's, you know, like, that's fine. The but name, the name of the, 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 the final quest is Zandalar forever. So, you know, no, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and, uh, uh, and I, and I definitely get that, but like, I can't help but feel a like fresh sort of like exoticism to Zandalar that is not there for Cool Tiras because Cool Tiras just like I we've already done this you know what I mean we've we have Victorian Europe with Gilneas and we have just kind of like standard fantasy Europe with Stormwind and we have like Scottish people I guess with like dwarves and stuff so I'm it, it feels a little like I guess like retread it is new stuff but it feels like we're pulling from a rule book that I've played in quite a bit of um, whereas Zandalar is all new um, and interesting um, so I don't know how, how much of it, that you know. do you think is is wow itself and how much do you think is just kind of like greater greater kind of fantasy saturation uh, you know that's a good question because I think you could make the argument um, that it is just kind of like greater fantasy sort of uh sort of saturation right like i watch movies like pirates of the caribbean and stuff like that like even zandalar like zandalar just doesn't resemble like i guess it kind of resembles black panther but that's like the only thing in modern popular media that that resembles right yeah it just, uh, I, I would i would even say this really right like yeah like, no, zandalar exactly itself point, is much right? more aztec which is which is a much rarer thing i think yeah, exactly. That, yeah, that's exactly it, right? And I mean, even I'm even a guy that plays a lot of Total War Warhammer, where Aztecs are one of the races, right? Like lizardmen are Aztecs. I have thousands, well, hundreds of hours playing a game where that stuff is whatever, and I still feel like it's kind of like new and fresh in a way. Um, but uh, but yeah, so it's just I don't know. It's a, it is it's it's more well trod kind of 
you know, pop culture ground, I think. And, uh, and so that definitely has a piece of it. It's also weirdly connected more to WoW lore than Kul Tiras is. Um, Kul Tiras has basically been outside of WoW lore since Warcraft 3. Uh, but Zandalar hasn't. You know, like, Zandalar influenced the world uh, in vanilla with Zul'Gurub, in Cataclysm with the, like, the remaking of Zul'Gurub and um, uh, uh, Zulaman and Zulfarak and stuff like that, right? Um, and then again in Mist of Pandaria with the Mogu and, like, the Throne of Thunder and stuff like that. So, it's... It's... It's simultaneously very new content, but also content that feels more embedded into the world itself. Um, so, there's makes that. Makes sense, yeah. 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 Uh, that makes uh, a lot of sense. I um, also think they have a small advantage because the first raid is Uldir, and, like, the whole of, you know, like, the whole of Zandalar sets up the raid of Uldir, obviously. Uh, Alliance doesn't have that same luxury, it seems like. Like, they're yeah. not setting up a big raid... You know, like, they're not setting up, like, a big raid anywhere and to go kill a big boss anywhere that keeps getting name-checked all across uh, the continent. Um, I guess unless you count Queen Azjara, but that doesn't even really count, because she's kind of everywhere, right? Like, she pops up in Zandalar just as much as she pops up in Cool Tiras, so... I don't know. It's a whole thing. Did, did you see the uh, Warbringer Azjara short yes i saw the warbringer is i was very happy with it specifically actually because they got the very same voice actor i played um you know i obviously play a lot of hearthstone and i played hearthstone when wrath of the or uh whispers of the old gods was out and nizoth was a fairly common card and uh and i think his opening line is like i've tasted you know like the essence of your soul or something like that and he quotes that to azara and i was like that's fucking neat plus the voice actor is the same yeah, that, that is really cool, actually. Yeah, so I, I typically don't expect uh, the kind of the lore of the two different games to cross over that much, um, but uh, but I guess they have. Who knew? Uh, I don't know. I this this wasn't the bargain I made. Did she? Did Ajara make a a bargain previously to the one that with Sargeras with Kiljade with Sargeras? Okay, she was going to be Sargeras's consort. So. Okay. Okay. Um, what did, did anything in particular cause that flood to happen? Am yeah, I... that's the that's the sundering. Oh, wait the the sunder. What's what's is, the, is that? What it's called the sundering? Uh, it is when. Uh... You're probably right. I'm just for whatever reason I'm confusing the sundering and the cataclysm. I think. What what is the sundering? Okay, ba -ba 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 -ba. the sundering. What's world event that reshaped Azeroth? Right, yeah. Okay, ten thousand year goes at the end of the War of the Ancients, and, and it okay. was caused when Queen Azrar created a portal for Sargeras in the Well of Eternity. Ah, uh, um, okay. So okay. it created this like unstable thing, and then it shattered because because uh, all of Azeroth used to be one continent. Like if you read Chronicle, for a lot of Azeroth's history, it's just one continent, but then it shatters into uh, the. Oh, is that what point. is that what creates the Maelstrom? Uh, yeah, and that's what creates the Maelstrom. Um, it's why the Broken Isles are the Broken Isles. It's why um, uh, uh, Suramar is Suramar, um, and why there are like night elf ruins all over the place and like underground and stuff like that. Um, it's why Cat so Cataclysm, the Eastern Kingdoms, Northrend, and Pandaria, I guess, being like the four main continents and kind of like those islands in the middle. It's why those are like like different, right? Um, like, the Mogu were on the same continent, like, enslaving Pandaren as, um, 
as the night elves when the night elf empire was like when like the war of the ancients was going on okay that makes sense um yeah no that, that's 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 all very neat um uh so Shara went from being uh, Sargera, uh, being fell to being void or whatever, right? Like went yeah. from being demon to being old gods. Oh boy, which is very interesting when you think about it. Because, and I, I have a feeling this is kind of like some retconning going on. Um, but as Shara has been uh, the um, like uh, like the Naga have been working around. Azeroth for a long time, like famously Queen Vash in um, or Lady Vash or whatever, it like worked with Illidan, um, and it throws some of that stuff into new contexts um, because it's like, okay, well, why do the Naga ally themselves with Illidan, right? Like, why does like Lady Vash and all these Naga um, ally themselves with Illidan? And the answer kind of implicitly becomes um, that. Queen Ashara knew that Illidan was working against Sargeras in the Burning Legion, which he was, right? Like, this has been explicitly confirmed in Legion, right? Um, and so it means that Queen Ashara was probably working on the orders of Nazoth to strengthen Illidan's attempts to defeat the Burning Legion, whose goal was the eradication of life um, and, and also, you know, old gods right because right, he right. was he is trying to fight against like the void lords or whatever and so like that that to me is kind of the neatest thing that's like the neatest implication of this whole thing uh which is that like there is a long con being played here um yeah because ashara was in the um the the broken isles for for a hot second yeah yeah um, yeah uh, she was trying to get the tide stone of Golgoneth. um so yeah it's a whole thing yep all right, well, I think that's all we have time for, unless you want to talk about anything. I think that's all time for, yeah. Um, all right, well, if you'd like to, to reach out to us and tell us what you think of uh, Vancine magic or limiting spells in your game, which is actually what this episode turned out being mostly about, um, or uh, World of Warcraft or Hollow Knight or any of the other things we've talked about, you can reach us at subdurbsplaygames at gmail.com or podcast at subdurbsplaygames.com. You can uh, watch uh, us finish out House Rebels at twitch.tv slash subdurbsplaygames. Um, and, uh, what else can you do? Uh, you can email us, you can rate us on iTunes and on SoundCloud and all great places where podcasts are found. Um, and, uh, find us on Twitter. And I think that's about it. Buddy, do you have anything else that you want to talk about? I have nothing else that I'm looking to promote. In that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.